a trans tour of the Georgian capital Tbilisi. Drag race star Courtney Act on her new play opening in London's West End, and an appreciation of the life and work of author and trans pioneer Jan Morris. Hello and welcome to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT plus news website from the Thompson Reuters Foundation. I'm Hugo Greenhouch, LGBT plus editor of the foundation and overall editor of Openly, which you can find at openlynews.com. This week we're taking a trans tour of Tbilisi, looking at how the lives of trans people in Georgia are faring in what remains a very culturally conservative country. I speak with Courtney Act, drag queen, singer and star of RuPaul's Drag Race, before the opening of her new show, Death Drop, in London's West End, and the life and work of writer, traveller and trans pioneer Jan Morris, who has died at the age of 94. Stay with us for the top LGBT plus news now. Last week saw the launch of an audio tour of the Georgian capital Tbilisi, organised by a local LGBT plus group to shine a light on the lives of transgender men and women in the socially conservative Caucasian nation. Shunned by their families, trans people in Georgia often rely on sex work to make a living as discrimination and the lack of regulations on legal gender recognition make it difficult to find regular jobs. LGBT plus events are rare in Georgia, often attracting threats and violence from far-right groups. I'm joined now by Umberto Baki, our correspondent in Tbilisi. And Umberto, so thanks for joining us. And you actually went on the tour. What did you see and what was it all about? Uh, hi, Hugo, and thank you for having me. Um, so the, the tour started like from the Tbilisi Circus, which is this um, kind of old iconic Soviet building that is uh, located on a hilltop, quite downtown, let's say quite central. Um, the, the, the tour started there because the building itself has a bit of a dual meaning for many because obviously the circus is generally related to kind of fine activities and children if you want because of the events that are hold there but here is also known uh, its surroundings uh, which are kind of almost a park, a green area, are known as a hotspot for prostitution and with many transgender people relying on sex work in, in Georgia uh, to make a living because of discrimination and the uh, lack of other opportunities to land a normal job, uh, let's say um, the uh, many see that place as um, a dark kind of place or a place where once you go you cannot like uh, escape um, so the tour was basically centered on on some of these uh, building or places that had like uh, some relations to transgender people the, the tour was basically organized as um, all the attendees were given a map uh, with QR codes and uh, with, uh, there was a QR code for uh, 10 locations, every location um, told, the sto- or told the story, uh, so at every location, sorry, uh, the uh, people in attendance were told a story by uh, five transgender people who were interviewed for this project about what that place meant to them. Um, in terms of uh, even common things like uh, their fears and hopes and dreams or, uh, or more in general as a place like uh, the, the circus that we discussed before, what were the, the, their, their thoughts about the, the location and was, the idea was to give uh, people um, a view of the city uh, through a different perspective and put them in the shoes of um, others, I think. And why is this unique in Georgia? I mean, is it difficult to be tra- to be trans in Georgia? Um, yes, absolutely. So in general, uh, LGBT plus events are quite rare. 
because they often or always um, attract violence or threats of violence from far right and ultra conservative groups. Um, this was the case, for example, last year with the first Tbilisi uh, Pride March. Um, and um, let's say the LGBT plus group say that uh, among the, the LGBT plus community, uh, transgender people are uh, possibly the one who have um, the hardest life in Georgia because of the uh, amount, the stigma that is related to uh, their uh, sexuality and that they face. Um, they often complain to, that they face violence and that crimes of transphobic attacks are not properly investigated uh, by authorities. So. Um, uh, yes, I would say it's not the, 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 the easiest life in Georgia um, in general. There was a case we covered last year, earlier this year, I think, about a transgender uh, woman who set herself on fire to kind of um, highlight the plight of many who were struggling during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Or many transgender people with no job or income were, were having a, a difficult time, for example. No, no, certainly when you and I talked about uh, you going on the, the the trans tour, we we discussed the kind of security implications. So was there any trouble this time around at all? Um, not during the event itself, so it went on quite quietly. Um, it was like organized in, in a way not to draw unwanted attention. So one had to register to participate um, and only up upon like uh, registration acceptance, you would be sent details of where and when, where, where and when you would start. Uh, it was not broadly advertised either. It just came up a couple of days before the event. Uh, and overall, it's quite, it was quite low-key. It was about 20 people. There were no rainbow flags. It was not a rally. It would, it would not attract a lot of attention throughout the, uh, the city. And it covered only like a small section of, of, the, uh, of the city itself. Um, however, there was like a, a, a follow-up, if you want. Um, so during the tour, we passed in front of a poster that was put up by another group, uh, LGBT plus group, the Tbilisi Pride group, um, to, uh, let's say, to mark Transgender uh, Remembrance Day, uh, which was just a couple of days earlier before, before the tour itself. And this was in an underground passage. And just the day after the tour, a far-right group basically went, tore down the poster, set it on fire uh, while doing Nazi salutes, and they um, filmed the whole thing and sent the video to the uh, staff of Tbilisi Pride to show them like, look, this is um, what we think, uh, what we do with your initiatives, which was obviously uh, not particularly, um, let's say, um, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, sorry. But... Well, no, absolutely. It, 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 well, that was a, kind of a direct threat, if nothing else, to, to the poor people at the Tbilisi Pride office. But I mean, has, has there been any media coverage of, of the event itself after the trans tour? Um, yes, so in attendance, apart from me, there were also like a couple of other journalists and photographers. Um, I think from, from let's say, the, with those um, online media that are a bit most, more uh, liberal, let's say, uh, generalists like in news media, uh, they, they did cover the event as well, so they did write about it. Um, they, they normally, these, these couple of outlets, they normally do quite a good coverage and extensive coverage of LGBT issues, so which is interesting and it's definitely a developing area uh, here in Georgia, something that uh, a few years ago was not really talked about, whereas now it's more um, from little events to, to broader like issues, uh, they are uh, discussed and um, let's say sometimes investigated in the media, yes. 
Well, softly, softly in terms of things changing in Georgia. But in the meantime, Umberto, thanks as ever for joining us. And you can read more of our coverage on Openly at OpenlyNews.com now. Courtney Act has had many lives, drag queen, singer, television personality, and now star of a new West End show, Death Drop, which opens at the Garrick Theatre in London's West End on December the 4th. Courtney, who uses female pronouns when performing, but they or them when appearing as Shane Jenek, is part of a cast that includes fellow drag race alumna Vinegar Strokes in what's been described as a Dragger for Christie murder mystery play. I shan't say any more, although I have no idea who done it, but let Courtney pick up the tale in her own words. My name is Courtney Act and I'm here because I'm in Death Drop the Play on the West End at the Garrick Theatre. What is your, which character do you play? I'm playing Shazar, who is an Australian pop star. The show's set in 1991, but my character is trapped in the 80s, hence why I'm dressed this way. Um, this is my interpretation of the 80s. This is not the character necessarily, but I'm just, you know, trying to get into the uh, into the vibe, method actress. And um, it's going to be super fun. It's an Agatha Christie murder mystery, but a drag murder mystery. Everyone's in drag and a lot of people die. I'm going to presume that your character might last until, without giving away the plot, might last until the end, perhaps? I don't actually know. I haven't read the latest edition of the script, so I don't know who dies and I don't know who the murderer is. Well, also, when I read the script originally, I didn't know who was playing what role, so I genuinely don't know who the murderer is, which I think is good for a press day because I can't give anything away. Growing up, did you ever imagine you'd be on the, on the stage, literally at this moment in time, at the West End in London? Well, I think growing up, I wasn't even sure that... London existed as a child but when I became aware of it it's always been a dream to be able to perform on the West End um, so it's really exciting to be here it just feels like such a peculiar time and to end up at the end of nine months of quarantine on stage at the West End is just thrilling and uh, obviously we hope that the place starts in a couple of weeks time but is there a danger extended lockdown that it might not happen um, I'm super excited and hopeful that the lockdown will end on December 3rd and the show will open on the 4th of December. Um, even in Tier 3, this theatre is all COVID safe. Uh, it's allowed to go ahead and operate. It's all socially distanced and we check temperatures at the doors and there's apps to order your drinks and all that sort of jazz. So everything going according to plan, which we know 2020 isn't really known for. Um, yeah, it's exciting. We'll be opening on the 4th of December. What's the impact been um, of COVID on the drag scene so far, do you think? It's really interesting seeing the impact of COVID on the drag scene because drag is such a live thing. But thankfully we have this thing called the internet now and there's been a lot of Instagram live shows. There's even been fundraisers uh, to raise money for local drag performers who aren't able to support themselves during this time because they aren't able to perform in venues. Um, but there has been a real sort of sense of community, which is wonderful, of people coming together to help each other and support each other. And, um, and a lot of online drag. And you, in terms of how, has your work gone online over the past nine months or so? Well, I've actually been, um, I was scheduled to be writing a memoir uh, starting in March. And it's, I mean, not to make the whole global pandemic about me, but it's kind of perfect to be locked indoors without your friends asking you to come outside and play. Because I've just been sitting at my, my typewriter, no, at my laptop, um, writing about my life for the last 
however many months, so it's actually been quite good. I've become, I'm a very good shut-in. And when can we expect to see the memoir? Uh, the memoir, well, I'm not sure, actually. It's coming out next year. It was meant to be February, but that's all changed now. Uh, but sometime in 2021. But what else are you working on at the moment? I am working on... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm excited because the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which is our Pride Festival, is going ahead uh, in a stadium this year instead of on the street. Uh, so hopefully I'll be heading back to Oz for that. To um, present it or to be one of the compares or one of the stars? or Well, I'm going to wait until uh, my plane ticket is booked and my entry back into my homeland is confirmed because it's a one-in-one-out policy at the moment in Australia. And looking at kind of other projects, I mean, you, I've been doing Drag Race. Are you going back on Drag Race at all? What, what are the plans? Because you've been in the States quite a bit recently. Yeah, I am a, I'm a resident of the United States, uh, an Australian citizen, and I'm here in the UK doing Death Drop. Um, plans for the future. Look, I think during these times, it's just planned to what happens next week. Um, things sort of too far in advance seem to get disrupted at the moment um, so I'm doing Death Drop I've got the book and then you know seeing what happens in 2021 so I'll ask a couple of contentious questions I mean it's been a lot of um, problem with racism amongst fans of Drag Race how, how can we counter that do you think? It's fascinating because Drag Race is one of the most diverse shows on television if not the most diverse and you know I think that racism is a prevalent thing in the western world um, and that shows itself on Drag Race, more in the audience online. And it's, it's really fascinating because drag audiences are not uh, exclusively woke or uh, going to be any different than the mass populace. And I think that, you, you know, we see racism everywhere, but I think that showing different stories, uh, showing people of different ethnicities, cultures, backgrounds and races is the way that we breed and foster empathy. And having these conversations uh, is really important and I, I think Drag Race is wonderful for doing that. And just sticking with that, a final question, in terms of looking at the trans exclusion at times on Drag Race and other um, venues as well, uh, again, how can we counter that, do you think? Um, you know, Drag Race has come under criticism for not being inclusive of trans performers uh, and cis female drag queens. Um, I mean, in my experience, drag was pioneered by trans women, certainly in Australia, in the US, in the UK. Um, drag started out as a very female illusion art form and, and was pioneered by trans women. Um, so to not have them included in Drag Race is, is unnecessary and disappointing. Um, and I think that there needs to definitely be more inclusion when it comes to gender diversity in drag. Because the whole point of drag is that it is a middle system, uh, a middle system, a middle finger to the mainstream, to the, the establishment. And so by then enforcing these barriers and these rules on our drag community just means that drag race has become the establishment, which is the thing that it initially set up to avoid and to, uh, to subvert. Very final, very, very final, I promise. A quick one. If, in terms of kind of you know, baby drag queens out there looking to follow in your footsteps, what, what advice would you give? If you're out there and you've got drag bubbling inside you, you've just got to keep at it. You've got to find the fun in drag. You can't want to be a drag queen because you want a lot of Instagram followers. That's not how life works. If you love drag, if you have a passion for performing, if you have a passion for the aesthetic of drag, the hair and makeup, and you just love it and it's in your blood, you'll find ways to make it happen. I think that trying to work out how to do drag, you just have to wait for drag to happen to you. Music
And finally, author, traveller and trans pioneer Jan Morris died last week at the age of 94. Morris, author of more than three dozen books, was once described as one of the most admired and imitated travel writers alive. The Financial Times called her perhaps the best travel Britain alive. But for many, she remains a true trans pioneer, undergoing gender reassignment surgery in 1972 and publishing an acclaimed memoir about her experiences conundrum two years later. I'm now joined by Debbie Hayton, physics teacher and trans advocate. So, Debbie, thank you very much for joining us. And let's look at the, the life and work of Jan Morris. What, what are your own memories of coming across the work of Jan Morris for the first time? Well, it's probably back in the 80s, Hugo, when the only mention of, of transsexualism, as, as, we call, as it was called then, was sometimes salacious headlines in the newspapers. Generally, when somebody was being shamed for being trans or somebody was being uh, outed from their workplace, in, possibly in a, in, 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 a lot, in a lot of trouble. Whereas Jan Morris there, was, it was very different. It was somebody who had been uh, successful in another area of life. And there was something of a role model there, which was very unusual at the time. Well, let's look at that role model. We've called her a trans pioneer in the piece that I wrote last week. So why is she important for trans people and perhaps the, the wider LGBT plus community? Well, she was somebody who uh, succeeded not because she was trans uh, and not really be despite being trans. Uh, there was somebody who was a, was a successful journalist, uh, a successful writer and, uh, you know, became a became notable in her own right. After, uh, after being on the Everest expedition of 1953, uh, especially. And I guess to us, to me growing up in the 1980s, that was still prehistory. Somebody had been around a long time. And being trans didn't seem to be really an issue. And I think that's the way that it should be. We talk about the 1970 memoir in particular, I think Conundrums or Conundrum. Um, did you read that um, when you were first kind of coming to terms with who you were back in the day or what was that an influence at all on you? I remember, I re I remember reading it in the library actually, uh, not daring to take it out because I didn't, you know, the, the internal shame inside me at the time was such that I didn't want this book on my, uh, uh, on my library record. <laughs> It's just, it just sounds ridiculous now, it really does, but that's, that's the situation that uh, I was in. So I remember reading sections of it, just, uh, I guess it was, it was identifying with the struggles that Jan was going through, not being able to explain what was going on to herself, really, and really struggling to explain it to uh, family members, you know, her wife, Elizabeth. That was something which I was in a similar position. I couldn't explain this to myself. And I couldn't really admit to myself that I was, I was in a similar position at the time either. Well, if I may, kind of to end on a, on a more personal question, you, you certainly kind of raised this already, but I, th I think she would have, I think, have argued that her identity didn't really define as a person or a writer. So, I mean, how does that fit with your own personal ph philosophy? Well, that, that's, that, that, that chimes with mine. I don't want to be thought of as a, as a transgender person. I want to be thought of as a, as a physics teacher, as a trade union officer, uh, increasingly as a journalist, I'm, you know, I'm writing not just on trans issues but on, on other issues as well, because there's more to us and there's more to trans people than being trans. I, I've sometimes likened it, I'm, I'm also short-sighted and uh, I rarely see myself uh, described as a, as a short-sighted journalist or a short-sighted teacher and 
it would be great if transgender was seen as a, as a similar attribute that was seen in the same way. Well, Debbie, thank you very much for joining us. And you can read more of our coverage now on Openly at OpenlyNews.com. You're listening to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT plus news site from the Thomson Reuters Foundation. That's all for this week, but do catch up with all this week's stories and more at OpenlyNews.com. And do join me, Hugo Greenhouch, for another look at the week's LGBT plus stories at the same time next week. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Openly and be sure to like our Facebook page too. This episode was produced and edited by Christopher Johnson. And from all of us here at Openly and the Thompson Reuters Foundation, do stay safe and well and thank you for joining us.